Let me tell you one of the, the things I hate most in, in a church service, not in our church service because I know a lot of you pretty well, but just like when I'm visiting a church, one of the things that, that I would dread or when I'm talking to another Christian that I don't know very well, one of the worst things, and this is going to make me sound bad to some people, I think, but it, I'm just being real here. You know, one of the worst things is when somebody comes up to me and says, I have a word from the Lord for you. And then they proceed to tell me something, and I hate it because they're usually wrong. And I just have this guess that they're going to be wrong, and I think, I don't know you, and I'm pretty sure God would have told me, you know? And, and, and this is the mentality. Now, let me, let me stop and go, I believe that God does have words for people and that these things can be important. But what I found is that they're oftentimes false and and oftentimes it's people not who are really connected to God that say these things to me, but they're not connected to God and they want to appear connected to God or they're searching to be more connected to God. And so they express this kind of thing to make themselves sound spiritual. And it's, it's not accurate. And when it's not accurate, then it's just false prophecy, as we would call it, because they're speaking on God's behalf, but not really saying godly things. And, and there's another phrase that, that I think is really, uh, can be dangerous and uh, scary, and, and it annoys me uh, more than anything. And that's like, God told me that you... And then you can fill in the blank, and, and you're like, oh, that's weird. Um, and, and it's not, again, and I'm going to touch on this in just a second. It's not that I don't believe that God speaks in those types of ways. There are some people who don't think that God speaks in those kind of ways. I'm not one of them. And in fact, if, if one of you who are a part of my church and love me and cares about me and, and is connected to God and, you know, actually is spending time with him on a regular basis, if you came up to me and said, hey, God told me that you or I think that I have a word of the, from the Lord for you, then I would be locked in. I would take it seriously. I would think that it was cool. I would, I would try to examine it through the... the lens of scripture and through what God has said to me and those types of things and I'd be all in but sometimes when you think about these topics and the big word is prophecy right if somebody is going to give you a prophecy a lot of times because of how it's been abused and how it's mistreated and how people fake it then it becomes a really scary word a prophecy and you think probably not pal you know and so maybe I don't know if you ever experienced those things but I've experienced those things and, and, and so it just, I kind of have this, this negative view almost of something that I actually have a theologically very positive view of. In fact, I was talking to somebody this week and they were talking about a relationship that they were in that, were, that was very unhealthy. And one of the ways that the other person manipulated them is by saying, God told me to, and then they would fill in the end of that with things that it was very obvious and very apparent that God did not tell them to do or would not have ever told them to do. And a lot of times, if you saw the title of the sermon and you saw prophecy there, then if you've had any kind of real connection to prophecy, if you have any type of history with the word prophecy, then you may think that's kind of, it's kind of a crazy deal. Now, Here's what you need to know. 
that even if most often when we think about prophecy, we, we think of these crazy things kind of in, in the social status of the church today. Prophecy originally, and I think most often, isn't really like that at all. Now, the reason for this, the reason that this is how prophecy is most often talked about is because when you think of prophecy, if you're a Christian, if you're in a church, if you like the Bible at all, then you think of biblical prophets. And when you think of biblical prophets, what happens, what goes through your mind is that you envision people who are telling what will happen in the future. And if somebody feels the gift of prophecy in their lives, that they think that they have this gift, then, then they spend most of their time trying to tell what is going to take place in the future. Now, that can be a really important part of witnessing what we are talking about right now. If God genuinely tells you something to tell somebody else, then you need to be a person that tells that person what God has told you. If God ever tells you anything and says, hey, by the way, express this to a person, You ought to do it because there is perhaps no better way of witnessing than telling somebody that something is going to happen in their future, that God is going to do something for them, and it takes place. Can you imagine walking up to your non-Christian friend and saying, God told me you're going to get in a car wreck on the way to, uh, to work today, and they did? then all of a sudden their mind starts going and, and they're like, "What? this is interesting and maybe I should think about God and all these things. But prophecy, most of the time in the Bible, is not that. But it is still a really important part of witnessing and I think one that a lot more of us can be a part of than simply telling somebody about the future. And here's, here's the thing. When you study the prophets in the Bible, sometimes they tell the people what's going to happen in the future. God is going to punish you, and the Babylonians are going to be the ones that he uses to do it. You're going to have a king that comes out of a, lo- a lineage that, uh, that will set things right in your land. Or there's going to be a king, and you should be scared of him because God's going to use him to punish you. Things like that happen in the Bible. But most of the time, what the prophets in the Bible say, both the major and the minor prophets, as they're usually called by English-speaking people, when they speak, they don't tell what's going to happen in the future. They tell what God thinks about what is happening right now. Uh, the way that it's often stated in theological circles is that there's, there's two kinds of prophecy. Uh, one is foretelling. You're foretelling what's going to happen in the future. And one is forthtelling. And that was a word that until I was studying for this sermon, I only knew through theology classes, Old Testament class specifically. And uh, I guess it's not a word that's actually like used in English outside of theological circles. And, and so uh, it needs a little explaining. Like you can't go on to dictionary.com and, and find foretelling apart from theologians and, and how they use it in this sense of what prophecy uh, is more often. And, and then I found this on Yahoo Answers, uh, not where I go for all of my sermon material, Yahoo Answers, uh, but somebody said that it was voted the best answer on Yahoo Answers, if that helps at all, and I thought it was pretty good. Forthtelling means telling forth as in spreading the word. 
And so most often the prophets are simply spreading what God thinks about a situation. My Old Testament professor in seminary described it as giving a God's eye view of the circumstances in which people are living or or the circumstances of a society. And what you see in the Bible is that most of the time when you read the prophets, They are not telling what is going to happen in the future. That can be an important thing. Don't hear me wrong if it's done right and real and sincerely and uh, and, in truth and all those things. But most of the time, they are looking at the people, the Jews most of the time, and saying, this is what God has to say about what you are doing. This is what God has to say about how things are going in our nation. This is what God has to say about the priests in our land and the way they are sinning against him. This is what God thinks and says about you and how you are living your life. And I believe that while this future-telling prophecy can be awesome, valuable, important. It's not something that most of us have the gifting of. It's not something that most of us probably will ever experience in our life where God will say, I need you to tell them or I want you to say that this will happen in the future. Some might use that. But most of us, if we draw close to God, can do this other type of prophecy. And you may never thought that you could ever do any type of prophecy, right? Because it's all future telling. But most of us, if we are close to God, we'll see this in a minute, can, can give God's perspective on a situation. And it can be an extremely powerful tool in being a witness to the truth of Jesus and his gospel that he came and he died and he rose again for the sins of the world. And we're going to look at a story today. And it's a story that in some ways feels majestic. And it feels, as you read the story, like Stephen, the guy that is the center point of the story, is telling them about the future, but he's not at all. In fact, he's giving them God's perspective on the past and he connects it to the present in a way that that says to the people in which he's speaking, here's how God views this situation. He doesn't give a personal opinion. It's not that important in the witnessing process. He gives God's opinion on a situation and it's a powerful witness. A powerful witness that doesn't work on the first audience but has continued to be a witness to the truth of Jesus for centuries afterwards. In Acts 6-5, we we encountered this verse last week. The disciples are picking seven men to wait on tables to make sure that the widows are all getting the food that they need. And we talked about the importance of service last week. And we said that one of the ways we know that, that serving at a church, even if it's not in the position of preaching or teaching or leading music or anything like that is important, is because Stephen is one of the men that is picked. And in Acts 6-5, it says they chose Stephen... And we talked about this last week. It says, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And I said last week that we knew it was an important role serving these tables. We knew that the disciples, the apostles chose 
godly men in part because of what we know about Stephen through that verse, but in part because of what we will see today. And right from the beginning, you need to notice this, that being a prophet, not a future teller, but a forth teller, being a prophet will not happen if you are not connected intimately to God. If you are not a person that is full of faith in the Holy Spirit, or I would add, a person that is becoming full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, then you are not going to be able to give God's perspective on any situation because you don't know God well enough and you're not close to God well enough to to be able to be in that situation. And this goes back to what I said at the beginning. It bothers me when people that that, that I know are not as close to God as me all of a sudden are like, I have a word from God. It's like, well, why didn't my friend John get that word? John really loves God. John prays to God. John actually reads the Bible. Why you? But you can't give somebody's perspective on a situation if you're not close to them. There are a lot of people, many of you in this church, who could fill in for me at a meeting about our church because we're close enough. You can say, I'll tell you what Chad would think about this. Uh, I can tell you what Chad would say right here. But there's a lot of people in the world that I would be horribly offended by them trying to give my opinion because they don't know me. If the guy down the street that I waved at once while going to the mailbox said, here's what Chad thinks about a situation, I'd be like, who are you, man? I don't even know you. I'm sure that athletes feel like this all the time. I I listen to sports radio quite a bit. And these guys that have no real connection to athletes are constantly talking about what these athletes must be feeling and what they must be thinking and and what their driving forces behind their decisions. And, and, And if you really are paying attention to sports radio, it's almost comical, right? And the reality is, if you want to give God's perspective on something, you must be a person who is close to God or at least becoming close to God as you grow in your faith and you allow for the Holy Spirit to fill you. And and that means that you should be trying to avoid sin and that you should be asking God to move in your life and you should be developing a closer personal relationship with God. And from the beginning of this story, where we see this man offer this beautiful foretelling, this beautiful prophecy that is an incredible witness to the truths of Jesus and how people need to turn their lives to him, we see that he is a man who is developing in his relationship with God. I'll just say this. It's because it's been a part of a a conversation. and, And as we prayed Sunday, almost prophetically, somebody started praying the very things I was having a conversation about the day before. I think that many of you need to do the big things that are always talked about in Christian circles. And that's that you need to read your Bibles and you need to pray. I don't know your personal devotional lives, how much time you spent with God, but if I had to guess, right now a lot of you are already convicted and I haven't even said anything that convicting because you don't spend very much time with God. If you want to be a good witness, you must be full of the Holy Spirit and faith and you will never be full of the Holy Spirit and faith if you are not reading the word of God, the the book that he has given us and if you are not spending time in prayer with him, invaluable time. Now we just had our annual meeting 
And at that annual meeting, we said that we're committed this year to, to giving a sermon booklet away that's starting to take some form now since that meeting for uh, the first one we'll give away will be in September as we study family in the book of Genesis. And in those booklets, we are going to give you biblical reading material. And I don't like to use sermons to talk about the things we're doing as a church, but One of the reasons we're doing that is because we want you to read the Bible more. Because we want you to be a person full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And we want you to pray. And so when you get that booklet, the first one and the second one and the third one and the fourth one and all of them, use them. Use them. We're not making them for fun. Pick them up. There will be Bible passages to read on the subject. Read the Bible. There's no excuse. I don't know where to start. We're helping you know where to start so that you can grow in your faith. If you're going to be full of faith into the Holy Spirit, you, there's no way to do it except to read the Bible and pray. And I think that too many in our church aren't. And so make that a priority. If, if even just for the fact that you want to be a witness to the truth of Jesus, because through this sermon series and, and the, the sermon series we did a few months ago called Proclaim, you're like, yeah, I want to, I want to lead people to Jesus. I want to tell my, my family about Jesus. I want my family to know Jesus. Then read your Bible and pray more. That's the starting point. In verse 8, we read this in chapter 6 still. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. This is the byproduct of being a person that was close to God. If you're like, I just want God to respond to my prayers and miracles to happen, but you're not devoted to being close to God, then you're never going to see powerful work happen. In fact, perhaps in church circles like ours, uh, that a lot of times is just all about knowing things, right? We can kind of admit that about knowing things and and not about really being close to God. And I don't think that's our church, but it's kind of the the denomination that we come out of and and things like that. A lot of times there's, there's a disconnect between I know God, No, but I know about him, you know, and I have verses memorized and those types of things. Uh, A lot of times you don't see things like future telling and you don't hear things like God told me to tell you. And perhaps it's not because those things are always faked. Perhaps it's because it's a byproduct of being close to God and many of us aren't close to God. Perhaps we would see more of the miraculous like Stephen did if we made it more of a priority to be intimate with the God that we love and that we serve because he sent his son. And in Stephen's life, we see that he is close to God and God does incredible things through him. One of which is just being full of grace. Another really valuable, important part of witnessing is actually being a gracious person. I think that one of the, the great downfalls of modern history's efforts to evangelize is that it's void of actually caring about people and actually wanting people to understand the love and the hope and the gifts that God has given us. It's simply something that we have pushed because we ought to or because we need to or because God has told us to. But as Stephen grows closer to God... Stephen's grace for other people, his love for them, his care about them also increases and he is full of those 
thanks. And so when we think of witnessing, a lot of times we think it starts with having the right words. We think it starts with, with knowing enough stuff. But for this man who is an incredible witness throughout the history of the world, uh, people still die today because of what Stephen does in this story that we'll continue to look at in a minute. They die for their faith because Stephen was willing to do and say the things that he was willing to do and say. And it didn't start with him having the right words or knowing enough stuff. It started with him being close to God and then that closeness to God overflowing into the world and into his relationships. And then in Acts chapter 6, verse 9, it says, opposition arose. And I want to make clear that if you grow in being a witness to the truth of Jesus, then opposition will absolutely arise. We're not in this sermon series saying, here are eight points to great witnessing. And if you do these things, easy, go get them. That would sell books. We could sell books that way, but we would be lying Because when you are a Christian who wants to share Jesus with other people, then opposition will always arise. And sometimes it will arise in very bad ways, and it did for Stephen. In Acts 6.11, it says, Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Now there's a large amount of Christians at this point. They're all new Christians, but, uh, or most of them are new Christians, but there's quite a few. I mean, not like today where you have like a billion, but like a couple of thousand. But Stephen is the one who is singled out for being close to God and having that closeness to God spill out into the world. And so Stephen is the one that they single out in their opposition against the gospel. And they make up stuff about him. And the truth is, if you become a witness, if you start to work to spread the gospel story to the ends of the earth, then people will start to say bad things about you. Now, oftentimes, sometimes, oftentimes, somewhere in the middle of those maybe, they'll say the true things about you, the mean things about you. They'll bring up your past. Well, didn't you at one time, or haven't you been through this? How dare you? Sometimes it'll be true, but other times, you may have seen this, you may have heard of this, you, you at least can see this in the way that, that famous Christians are often treated and how people are constantly looking for a way to tear them down. They'll just make stuff up. They'll make stuff up. So one of the reasons that I'm so slow I'm, I'm almost at a stop when it comes to criticizing other pastors, but I'm really slow in believing the criticism that is leveled against pastors, especially the famous pastors, because I think, man, they're doing something that's awesome and people want to tear them down and there is nothing stopping the world that opposes Jesus from doing their best even to lie to make sure that they tear down the person because the world knows That when you tear down the witness, in some ways you tear down that which they are witnessing to. It's one of the reasons that that 
people who aren't living for Jesus have such a tough time being witnesses because the world does not believe hypocrites. In fact, that is the single most leveled complaint against Christians. Well, they say to follow Jesus like them, but they don't follow Jesus. And so the world knows that it's unbelievable when a believing person doesn't act like they believe. And so they will even make up lies against the person. And that's what they do. They think of like the greatest lie that they can tell about Stephen. That he has blasphemed Moses. The, the pillar of, of the Jewish faith. And God. They make it up. And then they arrest Stephen. And they Bring him before the Sanhedrin. And I want to point this out. It's all over the world. We don't know this as much in America today or feel it as much or experience it enough. But the reality is that when the world cannot shut up a Christian, when they can't stop them from telling other people about Jesus or they can't stop a group of Christians from telling other people about Jesus, the line that we have seen throughout the history of our faith is that first they'll try to say words, they'll mock you, they'll try to tear you down, they'll try to beat you with their mouths. And if that doesn't work, then they will beat you with their fists. And if that doesn't work, then they try to shut you up by locking you in a, in a place that you can't get the gospel out. And if that doesn't work, then they'll lock you in a place that you really can't get the gospel out because it will be a grave. And all over our world today, don't think it's stopped. There are people being killed because they refuse to not tell others about what Jesus has done. And when they're beaten, they still do it. And so they arrest him and put him in prison and they look for a way to kill him because they don't want the gospel message spreading anymore. One of the great witnesses to my life is how much people hate Christians telling other people about their faith. Doesn't seem to bother people when it comes to other religions, but when it comes to the Christian faith, everybody's bothered when we say, you should believe this. And I believe it's because it's the only real and good religion and, and Satan is fighting against it with all of his might. In Acts 6, 15, it says, All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. The Sanhedrin was a governing Jewish authority. They were theologically liberal people. They believed really the first five books of the Old Testament, but the rest they could kind of do without. They didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They, they were more of a political organization that kind of connected to religion because all of the Jewish world, the, uh, the Jews, they, it was all wrapped up in religion because they had been a theocracy for so long. And so this is like a governing authority that's kind of religious but really is political and they like the Romans more than everybody else and things like that. And Stephen is brought before them and they notice something about him and that is that his face is like an angel. And it points once more to how close Stephen was to God. Now, God is always with those of us who are Christians. Let me say that. We, we believe that the Holy Spirit indwells every person who has placed their faith in Jesus who has become a Christian. So it's not that God pulls away from us at any point. I think we have this mentality like, I've lost God and I can't find him again. 
But the real idea behind being close to God centers around how often we actually turn our attention to the God who indwells us. And Stephen apparently was so focused on God that his face shone like that of an angel. Now, something that's in my life, and I'm just bringing this up for me, is that while I'm very consistent with my prayer and my Bible reading, Oftentimes, those things are not done in a way where I'm really focused on having an interaction with God. And a lot of times, if I can just be honest, it's like I checked it off for the day and I made sure I prayed for you guys and the things that you needed prayer for and, and I kind of got that done. But, but there's no intimacy level with God. And, and some of the best prayer that I've ever done was after I preached out of a passage in Hebrews. And in Hebrews, it describes prayer as approaching the throne of grace in our time of need and asking for help. And, and I remember that, that for a long time, and, I, and I'm going to get back to this after today because, uh, because I need to, uh, but I, I would approach prayer in a way that was different. Like I was literally coming before God's throne just begging him for grace. And in those times, there was a difference between just praying and really feeling like when I got up out of those prayer times, I reflected the angels, you know, like I had really been in the presence of God. And so I would just, again, as we look at Stephen and go, look, the the witnessing process doesn't start with knowing the right words. It starts with intimacy with God. It isn't just about reading your Bible and praying, but it's about looking to deeply and intimately interact with God. And when you approach the scriptures and when you approach the throne of grace in prayer, it's doing it in a way where you are remembering that you are interacting with a, a heavenly being who has created all and sustains all and offers his salvation to every person. And I think in in circles like ours, Christian circles like ours, while people may be consistent in their prayer and the reading of the Bible, we lack a depth in those things. I know that the thing that perhaps Satan fights against most in my personal spiritual life is me away from church singing to God on my own, in my room, with nobody watching. And I believe that it's because when I sing to Jesus, that it develops a closeness that isn't just logical and it's not just a checklist, but it's me interacting with God in some unique and different form. And I preached on that about a year ago, year and a half ago now, if you remember, we did a sermon series on singing. And I want to bring that just back to your attention because I think that when we sing, there's an intimacy. And I think that when we read the Bible and we pray, and I can't identify seven steps to make this happen, but it needs to be more than something you check off your to-do list. There needs to be some deeper, more spiritual interaction. And it's clear, even to the sight, that Stephen was interacting with God in a way that just wasn't, well, I read the chapter and I said the prayers and now I can get on with my day. The greatest witnesses have always been passionate about their interactions with God. There's this story that I know I've told in sermons before, but Billy Graham 
had a friend that was an evangelist and they kind of rose through the evangelistic ranks together. And then Billy Graham started preaching in front of 60, 100,000 people and this guy didn't. And he was super jealous uh, of Billy Graham. While still a faithful Christian and, and, and doing ministry and all those things, he was really jealous of Billy Graham. And one day, accidentally, uh, they were in the same place and he opened the hotel room. They may have been staying in the same hotel room and he said, Billy Graham was on the floor face down begging God not to take his Holy Spirit from him. Not just saying, God, you know what? Please don't stop this movement that you started. Please don't take your Holy Spirit. But begging, like you would beg for your life, God not to take his Holy Spirit. And the guy said, I walked out of the room and I thought, that's why it's him and not me. And we can't be great witnesses unless we have some of that. We may never be Billy Graham, but we can't be great witnesses until we have some of that in our lives. Prayer cannot be a checklist item. It must be something more intimate than that. And now we get to our actual passage for the day, and I won't spend as long on our actual passage as I just did, uh, but in 7.1 it says, Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? The answer is no. Let's be clear about that. Stephen could go, nah, you know, have a good day. I'll see you guys. I got things, you know, I got to do my newfound ministry at the church, which is, you know, I'm excited about that. Negative, man. I didn't blaspheme Moses or the Holy Spirit. But Stephen sees an opportunity here. And here's the choice that we face, I think on a weekly basis, but at least like a monthly basis, just in my anecdotal personal evidence, we have to make a choice between defending ourselves and being a witness for Jesus. Often we're not brought in front of the courts and this is not where the opportunity is given to us. It's in our places of work. It's when we're hanging out with friends. It's when we're playing softball with a bunch of people who don't love Jesus. You know, things like that. We have a choice often. And the choice is, do I defend myself? Or do I use this opportunity to be a witness for Jesus? And you can see that choice when people say things like, how come you never swear? You know, I just don't feel a need. It's kind of defending self, right? You're saving face. You kind of fit into the crowd still. You, you look like a normal person. Or you can use it to be a witness for Jesus. I don't swear because I don't think God wants me to. It's a big difference in those two statements right there, right? But one of them has some value in the whole scheme of Christianity and spreading it to the ends of the earth. And one has value in making you look good. And I think perhaps we are poor witnesses because we choose to defend ourselves instead of being witnesses of Jesus. And in American Christian culture, that's become okay and acceptable. In the first century when the church started, that wasn't acceptable. In fact, the disciples were excited when they were punished for, for telling people about Jesus in a story that's, uh, that we'll look at that's not long after this one in the book of Acts. And so let's just get it in our heads. I believe every week you will have an opportunity. And the opportunity is to defend yourself, is to be a witness. But the choice in that opportunity is do I defend myself 
or do I witness to the truths of Jesus? Maybe subtle, maybe small, but the choice is still there. And it says, to this, he, Stephen, replied. Now, the reply is long and beautiful. And one of my challenges for you is I try to uh, push you to read the Bible is to read on your own Stephen's reply this week. It's a beautiful representation of what takes place in the first five books of the Bible and kind of some of the main characters of the Old Testament. And if, if you've worked and tried to get through the first five books of the Old Testament and you've never got there because you, you come up short at the book of Leviticus, well, this week the challenge, I won't even say go read the first five books of the Old Testament. Read this because it's like the Cliff's Notes. Like Stephen gets right to it. And that's the first thing that I want you to notice about it, even though I'm not going to read most of it. I want you to notice that Stephen recounts the main ideas of the patriarchs, some of the patriarchs of the Jewish people, the fathers uh, of the Jewish nation and of the Jewish faith. He talks about Abraham and Joseph and not the dad of Jesus, but the Joseph in the book of Genesis. And he talks about Moses. He basically talks about the people who take up the majority of the first five books of the, of the Bible with their writings and with their lives, their life stories. You can't be a great witness if you don't know some of the main points of the Bible. Let me just be clear about that. You don't need to be a Bible scholar. You don't need to have a million verses memorized. I've already alluded to that. You don't need to be able to point chapter and verse on things even. You don't need to be able to say, well, that's John chapter 3, verse 16. You might want to get that one into in your heads. But you don't need to be able to, to just be like, it's right there and it's right there and this and this one connects to that. And let me tell you about the history behind it. You don't need to do that. But if you're going to be a witness... I am telling you, you need to know some of the main big points of the Bible. Like you need to know about the beginning of sin. And you probably should know about the birth of Jesus, although everybody else knows that. So you're kind of a loner if you don't. Uh, You need to know some of the teachings of Jesus. Like if you're a Christian that wants to lead people to Jesus, you ought to be able to tell one of the stories that he told that we call parables. Even if you mess it up a lot, you should probably be able to tell it a little. Uh, You need to know that Jesus died and you need to know some things about his death and the circumstances of his death. You need to know about the resurrection of Jesus and how that took place. And you need to know about the beginnings of the church. We're talking about invitation this year and like, hey, come to church. What if somebody said, where did the church come from? You should be able to answer that question, right? You're like a part of the church and it'd be weird to be a part of an organization that you know nothing about. If you're going to be a great witness to Jesus then you have to know the big points of the Bible. And some of you, because you don't read it, you don't know it. And you hear my sermons and you might know some things from the Bible, but you haven't understood or really allowed to sink in some of the major points of Scripture. And you have to if you're going to be a great witness. Now, here's the second thing. He uses specific verses from the Bible. And I just said you don't need to know every verse in the Bible, but you ought to know a couple that you can draw upon if somebody says, tell me what this Christian thing is about. Just memorize a couple verses. You know, like, probably, like, I don't know, how many songs does the average person know? A lot, right? You can remember a couple of verses. I have some suggestions. You can write these down if you want to. All uh, right. 
John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him and shall, shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 10.9, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. I mean, just get one or two. Get John 3.16 and then pick another one. Challenge number two for the week. Pick a couple verses and memorize them. You can find short ones, but make sure that they're gospel driven so that they actually help you tell the story of Jesus and what it means to be a Christian. How do I become a Christian? Don't flip-flop through a bunch of your answers. Just grab a verse and be like, hey, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. Then you don't even have to be smart. You can just memorize something, right? And then the third thing Stephen does to the point of all of it is that throughout the whole section, he gives God's perspective on what's taken place in the Old Testament. And he is able to do that. Why? I hope you have this in your head. Because he's close enough to God to know what God thinks about it, to understand what God thinks about it, to have an opinion about what God thinks about it. He's close enough to God to be like, here's what God thinks about it. And then at the end, he turns his attention to what God thinks about the situations, the stories of the Old Testament, and he points it right at them. And in verses 51 through 53, he says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. You see, Stephen is so close to God that he's able to look at these people and say, here's a bunch of stuff you believe about God. Let me tell you how you fit into it. He doesn't give his opinions on their behavior. I can't believe you've arrested me. You people are idiots. He says, do you want to know how God feels about what you're doing? He feels just like he did about all the other people in your family lineage that persecuted and killed prophets. Do you want to know God's perspective on this? It's that you murdered the one that you were looking forward to. And I believe that if we would draw close to God, we can be incredible witnesses just by giving God's perspective on the situations people are in. Now, sometimes that's going to be just as bold as Stephen. You want to know God's opinion? It's that you are a sinner. It's something that John the Baptist does. 
And it's the reason that John the Baptist, the uh, cousin of Jesus, he gets arrested and killed. It's because he looks at the, the Roman emperor and says, hey, um, by the way, you are a Jewish man and you shouldn't be having these marital relationships that you have because you've married your brother's wife, you know, like ex-wife, hopefully. I'm not sure how that went down, but like that's not, that's not something God would like. And I totally believe that in our world today, in our country today, people are constantly looking for a truthful perspective. And we who are Christians believe, we do, that God's perspective is the right one. And if we will draw close to him and, and look for opportunity and then in those opportunities not choose to defend ourselves and make ourselves look good but be, choose to be witnesses to God, then we will be able to offer a perspective, God's perspective to people and it will be a perspective that oftentimes they long for and sometimes they hate. But it will at least be a witness to the world. Now, if you don't know how this story ends, these people kill Stephen. He becomes the first Christian martyr. And when I said earlier that people give their lives because of what Stephen has done, people literally still today give their lives because of the example, the witness that Stephen was. There are people probably in jail cells all over the world or in areas where they know they could die for their faith. And they look at Stephen and they go, if Stephen had an understanding that dying for God was worth it, that dying for his faith was worth it, then I will follow his example and I will do it too. That's a witness. It's a witness even to Christians. But in the opening moments after he does this, when he refuses to defend himself, but he chooses to be a witness to God and he offers them this godly perspective on what they are doing, the reaction's bad. They kill him. And we saw a couple of weeks ago when we talked about just proclaiming truth and how that's an important part of witnessing. Sometimes just saying, I don't care how you feel about this. Here's the truth. This is what you really need to hear. Those people all became Christians. Happy ending. Here Stephen gets stoned. And nobody that we see in the story immediately becomes a Christian. But there's a man named Paul there. And Paul is holding the coats of the people throwing the rocks at Stephen. And just a little while later, Paul's going to have a miraculous incident where Jesus shows up and talks to him. But maybe just in our imaginations only, but just because we know that it works this way sometimes. Maybe when Paul heard the voice of Jesus, he was less quick to reject it as actually the voice of Jesus because he watched a man be willing to die for his faith right after he gave God's perspective on the situation. And maybe when Jesus said to Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul thought of Stephen's speech and thought, we've always rejected the prophets. And maybe that's what we've done to Jesus too. You see, when you give God's perspective on things, it's most natural for somebody who doesn't love God to reject 
you immediately. To say you're stupid, to make up a lie about you, to say, well, I didn't want your opinion anyway, to say you're trying to shove your religion down my throat. But oftentimes when that person's laying in bed that night or when they visit a church service years later, it matters to them. And so what I want you to hear is that you need to be a person who is close and intimate and connected to Jesus in a way that allows you to hear from him and to understand how he would think about situations. And then when opportunity presents itself, you need to choose not to defend yourself and make yourself look good, but to be a witness to him and to share the perspective of God on a situation. Sometimes just being pointed and saying, God thinks you're a sinner and you need him. And other times saying, something that might make the person feel good. Because in the long run, it will matter to those people's spiritual journeys. And your prophecy might be the reason that someday they pray the sinner's prayer and give their lives to Jesus. Please pray with me right now. Lord, I know we don't like prophecy in certain Christian circles. We are fine with it here, God. Uh, But let us remember that it isn't just future telling. Although that could be part of it, remind us, God, always of what we've seen today, that it is is most often telling people your opinion. I pray for every person in front of me, God, and the band members right here, Lord, that you would help them to have an intimate, deep relationship with you. And I pray, God, we would be a church full of people that are so close to you, even when people look at us, God, they go, they're close to God. Even if they don't love you, God, or they don't follow you, or they don't call themselves Christians, let people be able to look at us and go, there's something in them, about them, that shows me that they know God. Lord, I pray for all of us that when opportunity arises, God, that that we would want nothing more than to share about you. God, I pray that that we would not care about making ourselves look good. I pray, God, that we would always and only care about making you look good. God, let us be a church that witnesses to the ends of the earth and let part of that be that we are so close to you that we can give a world a true perspective because we're able to give the world your perspective on what's happening. Jesus, be near to us. We need you to be close to us, Lord. We can't spread your gospel on our own. We need you to be with us. And so I pray that in a supernatural way, you would fill this church with your Holy Spirit so that we may be witnesses to the end of the world. I pray these things in your name. Amen.